So my name is Josh Malarella. I am the medical director for the Grand to Grand Ultra. I've been involved since 2013. Awesome, Josh. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time out in the desert together. Yes, we have. <laughs> now we're connecting online. <laughs> You're at home and I'm at home. In my first podcast ever. Is this your first one? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Welcome to the show. It's going to be trial by fire for you. I'll ask you all the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> so with, uh, with all the years of experience you have at Grand to Grand, I'm sure you've seen a wide variety of um, medical issues, right? Yeah, between Grand to Grand and the other races that I've done, I've seen nothing bad, but I've seen most of what you would expect to see at these at these races. Yeah, so what do you generally see? Because I think in, in the videos and the media, we show a lot of like blister popping and stuff, and, which is super common, but there's more issues than that, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, so like in an odd foot care, it probably takes up most of my time. Um, but in addition to all the blisters that we see, we see a lot of orthopedic injuries in general, a lot of like overuse injuries. We see a lot of not so much altitude sickness, but we see a lot of um, like a shortness of breath. We see a lot of nausea, a lot of electrolyte abnormalities. We don't see hyponatremia, which is the, the salt issues that people have. We don't see it as much at G to G just because we ration how much water they have on the course. Um, having said that, people tend to mess up their electrolyte plan anyway. So we still see a lot of people who are nauseous, dizzy, some people kind of like falling over. Um, we've had a a handful of people over the years get admitted to the hospital, uh, but so far, knock on wood, nothing, nothing bad. Yeah. From, uh, I guess from my kind of outside view of the race, like there's a lot of stuff like that, kind of like, like surface level, like quote unquote injuries or things yeah. that could easily be prevented with like, proper like testing and training from what I've seen anyways. I mean, most of it could be prevented. Um, Aside from the people who maybe like step on a cactus or who like fall and get injured, most of the problems that we see, in my opinion, are totally preventable. Um, especially the foot care, um, the overuse injuries. People every year, people show up already injured from like overtraining or doing other races before. Um, and then, as far as like the, the electrolyte thing goes, it's been an ongoing issue. Like people just don't seem to put a whole lot of preparation into it. They'll just show up at a checkpoint asking for whatever salt tablets we have, asking what their friend is taking, um, just taking tablets, not knowing what it is or how much they need or if they even need it at all. Yeah. Let's, um, let's start talking about some of these preventative things. Cause like, obviously like you said, you're the medical director and stuff and that's pretty all encompassing as far as like, like issues go. But um, like for me personally, like I've, I've noticed that everyone like sweats differently and yeah. it, it depends on so many different factors, like your fitness level, genetics and whatever. And like for me personally, like I had to drink quite a bit of like, like electrolytes, like a pretty high sodium mix while I'm out running and doing things. And if I don't, I just get cramps really bad. But then I know people that don't think twice about it because their volume or their, I guess the volume of sodium in their sweat is like so minimal where mine's like super high. I get super crusty. Like whenever I go out and even like a five mile run or something, so um, let's talk kind of a little bit, a little bit about that, like the electrolytes and stuff. Like, what issues have you seen, and like, how can people work to prevent those problems? So it's a very individualized approach. There is testing that you can order where you can actually check your own sweat to see how much you sweat or how much like salt is in your sweat. Some people are more like salty sweaters. Um, you've probably seen those photos where someone's shirt is covered with white from like all the all the salt. And part of that's going to change depending on where you are or like how acclimated you are to the heat. It's going to, how much 
you're sweating and how much salt it's going to change. So it's not going to necessarily be consistent throughout the year. Um, but a lot of it comes down to also what you're, what you're eating. Um, so if there's a lot of salt in your food, if there's not salt in your food, if you're just eating like powders, most people probably are going to need to supplement electrolytes to some extent. But electrolytes vary a lot depending on the brand. Some have a lot of sodium. Some don't have a whole lot of sodium. So the big thing now is runners need to start training like they plan on running the race. So you need to start finding something that works for you. Use it during your training. Know how often you're going to take it, how much you're going to take. So that when you show up in Kanab in September, you have a plan and hopefully you stick to the plan. Definitely. I think one of the, besides obviously like the physical factor of training, like it's so important in your training to be testing things because like what works for you for the race you have coming up is going to be different than what works for me. And like what sits well in my stomach may not work for you. And even electrolytes, if you have too much, like you might feel sick, whereas your buddy might feel great at consuming a ton of electrolytes, right? Right. Which is a caution for the Facebook page. It's a great resource, um, but don't necessarily look at what like Billy is doing and copy Billy. You got to find out what works for you. Yeah. And I guess thinking about that too. Seems common sense, but. (laughs) No, definitely. Like I, I think it's easy just to like kind of take like a blanket, like maybe like a template from somebody and be like, oh, well this worked for this person. We run about the same pace, but like reality, it's like, it's not going to be exactly the same. And like whatever they're consuming, maybe they, they have back home in, in Europe, but it's not here in the States or, or something like that. Right. Exactly. In, in similar vein, like the food, like every year people show up with these dehydrated meals and they never tried any of the meals. So they don't know how it tastes, how it's going to affect them, whether they can keep it down, whether it tastes good. Some people show up and plan to eat oatmeal every morning. By day two, they're like, you know, the oatmeal. So it's, it's really something that you need to, to play with and trial with before you get there. Yeah, and I think something to keep in mind about the food besides trying it, because I don't know, like, yeah, that's important. But like in Kanab, if you're not bringing all the food you have with you, like Kanab is pretty limited options. Like there are some things you can get there in town. But if you have something specific that you like or you enjoy, you're probably not going to find it. Like there are a couple options at the outdoor stores there, but like at the grocery stores, like you're not going to have a Whole Foods. You're not going to have like natural grocers or something like yeah, it's no. pretty like, minimal as far as offerings go. <laughs> yeah, that's putting it politely. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. I love Kanab, but yeah. whenever I go out there, I generally like bring what I know I'm going to need if it's something specific for the week. Because like certain like nutritional products for running you can't find or say a specific like salt capsule or electrolyte mix that you like or whatever, like you're probably not going to find it. You might find it at Willow Canyon, the little outdoor store there in town, but they don't have a huge offering of things. So like if it's a certain brand that you know works for you, like I would definitely suggest like packing that with you. (laughs) Yeah. But also too, like just thinking about like, I don't know, like gastric issues and stuff too. It's like when you're out there in the middle of the desert, like you don't want to be like like throwing up or, or the opposite of that, I guess, out there. And like finding meals that work for you is like, is super important. And I always like have this joke of like hunger is the best sauce. It's like, yeah, like maybe when you're starving, like something that's unappetizing in general might taste good. But after a few days of that, you want something that you're probably comfortable and familiar with. Yeah. And you're probably going to be craving salt. So it's nice to have like little snacks and what you're eating at camp is going to be different than what you're using out on the course. Because again, like as you're running, um, the, the way, assuming you're running, even if you're walking in the heat, like the blood gets shunted away from your stomach, which is why it does. It tends to not work very well. So if you try to 
drink too much at once. If you try to eat too anything like too heavy, it's just going to sit in your stomach and it's not going to go anywhere. And then you get like you get nauseous, people get cramps, and then you end up like vomiting, and then you lose all those calories. Now you're you're way behind in your hydration and your nutrition. Yeah, speaking of cramps, let's talk about that because that's something that I've battled with a lot in the past, and I know a lot of people deal with it. And like I think there's as far as I know, there's various reasons why people cramp. But can you talk to like talk more about that? Like muscle cramps? Yeah. Um, so it's actually interesting. Like th there's a lot of debate about why that happens. So mm -hmm. it used to initially be called kind of like heat cramps. And this kind of goes back to when they were building the Hoover Dam like a long time ago because the, the workers would start cramping and they would put them in a cool place and give them salty milk, I think, and they would get better. So they're like, oh, it must have been because of the heat and because they, they needed salt. Um, and there's probably some truth to that to some extent. A lot of it is going to be due to inadequate training. So if you haven't trained properly, especially going like up and down hills, going in the sand, your muscles are going to fatigue and that's going to lead to cramping as well. That's probably a bit of bit of A, a bit of B. Have you ever done the whole like pickle juice for cramps? Have you seen that? I have. I've had those like shots of, I don't know what they call it. Like just the, the hot pickle shots, juice. whatever it is. Yeah. Oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the hot yeah. shots are disgusting, but yeah. <laughs> pickle juice is, it's okay, I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting because there are these receptors in your like your GI tract, like your 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 throat and your stomach, and they get activated by like the pickle juice and the stuff that's like the capsaicin, like the stuff in those hot shots. And for whatever reason, it, it somehow turns off like the the activation that causes the cramping. So there's actually like something to it. But then you can't really walk around, especially in a seven day race, carrying pickle juice and like hot shots. Um, so the the main thing to prevent it the best you can is that it's to show up properly trained. And then a lot of that has to do with kind of training in similar environment as the race, stay hydrated and have a good like electrolyte plan, but it's probably a, a bit of everything kind of like combined. Yeah. It's kind of like all encompassing. And yeah. I think that's something that people need to figure out in their training again, because it's like, if you're cramping in training, you're definitely going to cramp during the race. And so like, if you can figure out what's causing your cramping, like whether that's you need to tone back your intensity or drink more or have more right. electrolytes, you, gotta, you should figure that out before you arrive in town and, and start the race. For me, I know it tends to be more just like not training. <laughs> so every, every year I tend to do a couple of the calf marathons. I don't train. I just kind of show up. And towards the end, like my calves are cramping or... I did one a few years ago and after the race, I stepped into an Uber and my calf just like seized up getting into the Uber. And I was like half lying in the Uber, like almost crying. I'm like, ah, oh, that hurts. You should have some salty milk. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds disgusting. Or pickle juice or. Yeah. Hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting. All the different ways to like, I guess interesting the ways that people cramp and why, but then also how you can solve those issues and this. Yeah. And when you do get it, like, the main thing that we do medically is it's just like massaging and stretching the muscle. Um, like we're not going to, we, we, so we do carry some salt solutions like drip drops. We do have some like beef bouillon cubes, that kind of stuff, more for the, the hyponatremia, like the low salt. Um, but usually when people come into a medical tent and this same thing for like a, like a, a one day marathon, it's just a matter of like massaging the muscle to get the cramp to go away. Yeah, maybe we should talk about that for a second, like kind of recovery and camp, because at least from what I've seen, I think it's very tempting just to show up and just sit down because you've been running at the pack all day. It's heavy. You're tired. It's usually pretty warm. 
and a lot of people just sit down instantly but like are there any like protocols you would have or suggest for when you get to camp to help make the that evening and the next day better as far as recovery goes so you definitely want to make sure, and again, this seems like common sense. You want to make sure you actually have dinner. And this is more of a, a problem with the, the stragglers that come in at the very end. Um, Cause they get there. It's already dark. Everybody's already kind of like asleep in the tent and they're just like so tired and nauseous. They just crawl on their bag and go to bed, um, which is almost guaranteeing you get a DNF the next day. So you want to make sure you eat when you get back. You want to make sure you stay hydrated. Um, if you have the luxury of getting back with plenty of time, Ideally, you, you clearly want to get off your legs, um, stretch, massage, keep your legs elevated. I think most of the runners are pretty good about this. They'll prop their legs up at night, prop their feet up. Um, it's amazing what like one night's rest can do for recovery. Um, and then, of course, you want to try to get a good night's sleep, which is easier said than done in a camp. Um, people are snoring. People are shining their headlamps in your face. Um, we definitely recommend that you bring like earplugs if you have them. Because if you can't sleep or if you, you're too cold and you can't sleep, then you're going to screw your recovery. Yeah, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that like sleep is like the ultimate like like recovery tool. It's like it's the cheapest yeah. thing you can do and it's the best thing you can do because like obviously having like the food in there matters. But like if you're not sleeping well at night, like you're just it's like a like a downhill like what a snowball or spiral of just like just feeling like garbage day after day after day. And then finally, at one point, you just break. Yeah, it's definitely key, which is why, again, like the cold, like we were talking about before we started rec recording, like people don't realize how cold it gets at night. And so these people who bring like the tiniest sleeping bag and they have these mats with all the holes in it to save like a couple of grams and then like a tiny little jacket and the space blanket is like this big and then it drops really close to freezing and they can't sleep because they're cold all night. Now you're not, you're not recovering, you're not getting rest and then you're going to wake up and do it, do it all over again. <laughs> exactly let's talk more about that because like you were saying before we started recording we were talking about that we've all been out or you and i have been at the, the race so many times now that we've experienced all these different things like both personally but then we've seen other people make these mistakes and like like people have this idea that that the desert is always just the same where it's just hot like people think of death valley or what they see in movies of like oh this is blistering hot all day but in reality, like Canab is at moderate altitude. And when you finish, you're at altitude for sure. And so those like dry nights get really cold really fast. And like while the sun's out, it feels great. But the second the sun drops and you're already kind of like calorie depleted and sweaty, you can get cold really fast and just spend all night shivering. Yeah, it's funny because you, you'll see the runners just sitting by the bonfire, assuming we can even have a bonfire because they're just too cold to be in the time. They just kind of sit there trying to like stay warm. <laughs> It's interesting, like, aside from, like, the past year or two, the, the, the DNF rate's been fairly consistent year to year. So even if it's, like, really, really hot or if it's really, really cold, and it seems to be that, you know, if it's really hot, people drop out, obviously, because it's hot when they're running. But when it's cold, the same amount of people drop out because they're too cold at night to sleep. And so you still end up having people dropping out for the same reason. Yeah, I think, like, with drops, it's interesting because... And I've been told this by um, people that are way better runners and more accomplished than I'll ever be. But it's like whenever they think about dropping at a race or some sort of effort, they always sit down, they eat some food, drink some water, and if they can, take a nap. And sometimes that just can reset you. So like even if you come into camp, whatever, two or three late at night and you're tired and exhausted and you just want to stop and just go go back to Kanab for the rest of the week, like 
you should think twice about that because your day could completely change if you take care of some of these issues. Yeah. And we don't let people drop when they come in anyway. Like if you made it to camp, you can sit there and think about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably smart to do that. But um, let's talk a little bit more about the clothing aspect um, because it's like there's kind of give and take, I think, with these things where like you could go ultra light, but then you're going to be cold and you're going to be burning a lot of calories just by being cold. Or you could take too much and then the same thing happens where you're just burning calories all day and you are warm at night, but then you also carry a heavy pack the whole week. So like how do you kind of find that middle ground and what are the consequences of not finding the proper middle ground? I mean, it's definitely a trade-off and it's what you're comfortable with. Um, a lot of the clothing and gear now is so light that I mean, unless you're trying to win, I think you're much better off carrying a little bit extra weight to make sure that you're a little more comfortable and then you can recover appropriately. Um, I haven't done G to G, full disclosure. If I did, I would definitely make sure I had a warm sleeping bag, a warm jacket, <laughs> um, and a little extra food for a little morale boost when, when needed. I understand that when you're the elites, you're going to go absolute bare minimum. And as long as you're okay being cold, then so be it. I mean, you can always use your jacket in your bag. There's, there's ways that you can kind of like adapt and use your gear to stay a little bit warmer. Uh, but just know for those of you who haven't done it, it can, it can get quite chilly at night. That's something that I've definitely learned over the years is like, if you're going to do something like this, where it's a multi-day, whether it's a race, FKT, or just a long effort, so you're out backpacking or something, it's like, how many ways can you utilize one piece of clothing? Like, you're obviously not going to run your down jacket during the day. But when you're hanging out at camp at night, you can use your down jacket and then you can sleep with that as well. Or if you have like, say, like an emergency pair of like leggings or something. Yeah, you're probably not going to use those during the day, but those can add warmth at night. Or just changing your socks out to have some dry socks at night. Like Little things like that can make a huge difference in how you sleep and, and also the base weight of your pack. You'll see them in, like, in the morning in camp when they kick them out of the tents. Like they're in their sleeping bag <laughs> try, try, trying to stay warm until they actually get running. Yeah, I would definitely do that too. Like this last year, I actually have quite a few clips of people and we didn't publish them anywhere. But it's like I'm shooting, like filming video through the doors of the tents and everyone's in their sleeping bag still. But they just kind of like sat up in them, like organizing their packs and everything for the day because like you want to stay warm as long as or comfortable and warm as long as possible so that way you're not just burning calories freezing outside like so it's almost like utilizing the time or the schedule as much as you can to your advantage so that way you're not just standing outside freezing for an hour and having your feet frozen before you start but, yeah I mean, it's smart yeah it's like, i think it's like little <laughs> things that you learn um from being out of these things which i think can also be applied in training and even like do maybe doing some training runs that aren't ideal um, like for example, today I rode my bike for a couple hours and it was raining and it, it's not like my ideal thing to do. Like I hate being cold and I hate being wet and damp, but I think it does make you tougher and you learn how to like, just be, be comfortable being uncomfortable in those situations. And it's good to know that your gear can handle that weather. Cause if you don't put it through the paces, you're not going to know, or you, maybe like the, the pack will be a little bit more uncomfortable, like whatever situation but it's good to know those things before you actually get there oh definitely and like like with gear testing as well like the other day um i think it was the video that we posted with frankie um you were like we're opening up his blisters on his feet and it was like it was pretty hard for me to watch frankie thought it was hilarious which (laughs) but i was like oh this is disgusting i'm definitely not into stuff like that but um somebody was commenting about like oh what sort of socks should i use and like i have a couple types of socks that i like i like dry max socks personally 
but I know a lot of people don't like those. They'll use like Injinji, like the toe socks or some other brand. And I think that's something that you should test in training. Like you're saying, like use it in a wet environment, use it in a dry environment, like see how your body reacts to those, like the fibers in the socks, because maybe like dry max works great for me, but maybe you're running out where you live on the East coast and it's not an ideal sock for there. Like I, I don't know specifically, but I think it's important to test those things in training just to see how they feel for you. And it, it kind of goes without saying, but same with the shoes. <laughs> and especially going, because a lot of people have problems like with the sand. I know like depending where you live, you may not have sand or a beach to go kind of mess around. Um, but a lot of the issues that we see <clears throat> are just from the downhill. Because if you have too much space, you just hit the front of the shoe. And so you get all these like toe blisters. Or if you're if the shoe is a little bit like too big, then you, you, you're moving around, especially in the sand. You get like the blisters like on the sides. I mean, it's, it's a, it, I know it's hard to figure out. I've gone through like many pairs of shoes myself. You got to find the ones that like really work for you. And then you have to realize that there's a good chance that your feet are going to swell a little bit during the week. So you don't want something to be like too snug because then it's, it's going to cause problems as well. There, there are books that you can look at. The one that we recommend people look at, it's called Fixing Your Feet. And it's actually, it's really good, not just about like how to treat blisters, but how like not to get blisters. And it, there's a whole section on how to like modify your shoes, like different ways you can lace the shoes or sometimes people just like cut the fronts off their shoes, cuts the sides off their shoes. I mean, you do what you have to do to get through, get through the week. Um, but you just want to make sure that you at least start with something that works well for you. Yeah. And like what works well for me is not going to, probably not going to work well for you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like last, um, last fall, I did a three day thing where I wore the same pair of shoes the whole time. And like, for me, it was great. Like I didn't have any issues with my feet and I usually don't. But then like some of my friends were like, how did you do that with those shoes? Cause they're a super tight shoe and a very minimal shoe, but it's what I'm comfortable wearing. And I've done other things where I've worn like more of like a traditional, like padded shoe. It didn't work well for me. And so like, I think it's important to see what other people are doing, but then also apply that, like whatever you're learning from them to yourself personally and make any changes that you need to, to make. Yeah. And I think we've had two people now do it in like in flip-flops, which Ooh. isn't recommended. Um, but if it, if it works for them, great. <laughs> do those same people also kick cactus that year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine running out there. Like everything's so pokey and spiky in the desert and like running in, I don't know, sandals essentially. That sounds awful. But, yeah, uh, again, not, not recommended, but it has been done. So. <laughs> Yeah, so what are some things that people can do though to like to take care of their feet? Like obviously like shoes and socks are, are pretty important, but like as far as like other things, like what else can you do to help prevent blisters? So the, we, so to get a blister, you need to have friction. So you need to do something to kind of like mitigate the friction. And there's different ways that you can do it. Some people are a huge fan of like lubricating their feet, either with um, like trail toes, but there's a lot of different products that you can you can buy. Uh, but then your foot's, I personally don't like it because I feel like my foot's like slipping around in my shoe. Some people really like it though. Um, if you tend to get blisters in the same spot all the time, you can always pre-tape your feet. Um, we, we usually recommend that most of the runners pre-tape their shoulders in the back for the pack. Um, just because the first couple of years, people wouldn't do that. And the pack would just like rip the skin off your shoulders and back. And at that point, it's you're kind of like behind the game. So you can do that. Um, some people wear like two pairs of socks. I mean, you, again, like there's many, many options to get to the same goal, which is just to decrease the friction. 
And a lot of it, again, starts with finding the right socks and shoes for you. Um, and then when you when you get there and you realize, oh, it's not working, I'm getting like a hotspot, you need to stop and do something about it then. Because if you just keep going and run another 13 miles and then you get a blister, now you have a blister. And we can put tape over a blister, we can treat your blisters, but we can't make the blisters go away, obviously. Um, so you, and it's amazing how many people at the end of the first day are already covered in blisters. And, and that's day one. And so you, you really... <laughs> You really want to try to stay ahead of the game as much as possible. And runners are required to carry like some sort of blister kit, right? Um, so it says blister kit. It doesn't say like what needs to be in the blister kit, unfortunately. I, I, I don't think it does. <clears throat> Every year, I think, that I've been there, they've been given a blister kit from Trail Toes, at least for like the past couple of years. Um, but again, like people don't look what's in the blister kit. They don't know what the stuff is. Um, they just throw it they take it out of their goodie bag and they put it in their pack and they go up, here's my blister kit. And they just come into the medical tent. Here's my blister kit. It's great, but you have blisters all, all over your feet. You're supposed to use this. So you have to, so if you, you have to not only have a blister kit, but you should know what's in it, how to use it, what it's for. And again, how to use it. So if you, if you're getting hot spots during the course, you can stop. Don't put it at the bottom of your bag, keep it accessible. You get to a checkpoint on the side of the trail, just pull it out and, and fix your, your damn feet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd say that's the main thing is like, and I think this is kind of like the almost like topic of everything at Grand to Grand or these long races is, is like, if you feel something coming on, stop and fix it in that moment because like the two or three minutes of stopping is going to save you a world of hurt and then also just make your race more enjoyable and you're probably not going to drop. Like if you feel a hot spot, it's like, okay, stop and see what the problem is versus waiting until your foot's an entire blister and you can't even walk. Yeah, if you get like a, like a cactus spine in there, or like there's little thorns in the bushes, if, if you get one of those in there, a small little rock, like don't keep running on it if it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna, it's it's causing every step that you take, it's causing more more damage. Stop, take off your shoe, take off your gaiters. It's gonna take a couple of minutes, but you you'll be so much better off. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like if, it's like running, like say if you have a cactus spine in your foot, like. That's super annoying, but then it gets deeper and deeper and deeper into your foot. And eventually it's like, could become infected or just really painful. And it's not just like a little poke anymore. It's like an actual problem. And try, try not to step on a cactus in the first place, if you can help it. <laughs> we, so we do have um, like, the, like little forceps, tweezer forceps that try to get out some of the spines. And this is really only an issue like the first day. But sometimes I mean, they're really small. If they break, sometimes we can't get them out. I mean, even if you go to like, an emergency department, they'll come out like eventually. But now you're going to do the rest of the race with these tiny little like spines in your foot. It's not really what you want to do. <laughs> it's so super, watch yeah. where you're going. Yeah, it's probably like one of the main things too is just like be aware of what's going on because like especially if you come from like a road running background or maybe even like some places in Europe where you don't have like these sort of like, I don't know, abusive plants, if you want to call them that, like where everything out in the desert wants to kill you. Like it's important to to be aware of your surroundings and it is really beautiful the entire race, but at the same time, it's like everything out there is trying to survive as well. And so like that plant's probably going to like poke you or that maybe you'll see a snake or something. It's like, okay, just be aware of what's going on. Probably don't put in headphones and stuff and just kind of run the race and be in the moment and be aware of what's going on. But, yeah. Uh, and again, we, we've never had a snake bite. At G to G, um, it's it's gonna happen at some point, but just just make sure you watch where you're going. 
Yeah, and I guess to, to reiterate that point, it's like I actually have never seen a snake at Grand to Grand before. Um, remember, I think it was the first year I was out there. Um, some of the, the cowboys that came out to camp one night had like found a snake somewhere when they were clearing camp and whatever. But like for the most part, it's like not that big of an issue, but it is something to be aware of that there are like venomous snakes in the area that could potentially cause an issue. But at the same time, it's like they're not out there hunting you down. Like it's not like they're predators by any means. <laughs> right. You can yeah. you could step right by it. It's probably going to leave you alone. Maybe the first runner, but like the, the third or fourth runner, the snake's going to get kind of pissed and then it might actually bite bite somebody. You know, for the most part, though, they, they kind of avoid people. Like if they, especially yeah. if you're back in the pack, after a full day of people walking by them, they're going to move to a different spot because they don't want to sit there and, and bite you because it's it's dangerous for them to have to defend themselves. But I guess that said, though, they are super cool to see. Like I'd be stoked if I saw a rattlesnake out there, to be honest. <laughs> I, I've seen one. Really? Of what camp did you see that? Or what area? It was by it was by the rope climb. Oh, really? On yeah. Oh, that's interesting to me. Uh, it's, it's, we we actually went looking for it. Yeah. Because <laughs> somebody told us there was a rattlesnake, so me and Tess went up the little trail. I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Don't, d- don't do that though. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you want to take like a a five mile detour off course, you can go to Mount Carmel Junction. They have a at the gas station there, they have a whole gift shop full of rattlesnakes and stuff. They're all like, oh really? Um, what do you call them? Like, not not embalmed. What's the like taxidermied? What's the word? Oh, yeah, yeah. word right now, where you can just buy like a a snake that's been like preserved or whatever. It's pretty interesting. They have like rattlesnake teeth and stuff or fangs. <laughs> Don't do that. But... <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I think like as we kind of just keep going with this stuff, like so many things like medical issues can be prevented. And it's it, a lot of it comes down to training and planning appropriately. And it's like you were saying with the tape on your back thing, like everybody's going to suffer some sort of chafing. It's just going to happen. And like, you can mitigate that just by pre-taping your back or pre-taping your feet or like with dehydration, like just staying on top of your hydration and electrolytes, all these little things can be avoided just with a little bit of thinking through it. I know it can be hard and difficult, especially like you were saying, when you come into camp at night, you're just tired and want to go to bed. But if you just take a few minutes and go over some things, like you're going to have a way better day. Like keeping your feet clean at night or something like is worth it in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's like 90, 90% prevention. Yeah. And that said though, it's still and, 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 and sometimes people just have like a bad race. Like we've even seen like a few elites like day one, just, just whatever reason, just feel, whether it's the heat or the altitude or they just feel like nauseous and they can't keep anything down. Um, it, ha- it happens to everybody, unfortunately. Um, some things are going to come up that you just can't deal with. Um, maybe you catch something in Vegas on the way. Um, <laughs> but a lot of a lot of the issues that we see um, could be prevented. Yeah, and I think it just comes down to like proper planning and, and training and stuff. And like, I guess speaking of that, like you mentioned that resource of that book, right, about how to prevent blisters and stuff. But or is it cramping? Sorry, I'm spacing. Blisters. Blisters, yeah. But also on like the the G2G website, there's a lot of resources there on just basic things. Like if you've never ran a stage race before, it could be really beneficial to people. It could keep you out of the medical tent because I'm sure it's way more fun to like sit outside and hang out with your new friends than it is to just sit in the med tent and get your feet poked. But people love coming to the medical tent. It's like the social place to be. We have electricity. We have lights. (laughs) We've had people pole dancing some years. Like... (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like a party. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like, what, what I we tell the runners though is like, 
because it is like a self-supported race. And even though there's a whole medical team there, we have a lot of supplies, we want everybody to finish, you should really run the race as if we're not there. So you shouldn't be relying on the medical team to do anything for you, whether it's foot care, to give you like Tylenol, anything. Um, you should you should be totally self-sufficient. I know that's not the case. Um, and if you need us, we're definitely there. But at least that's how you should approach the training is if no one's going to be there to help you. And if you do that, you should be at least start in the right foot. Definitely. So like, what are some of like, the, the worst things that you've experienced out there or that you've seen, I should say, um, from different runners? Uh, so, so, most of the injuries we see are actually in the volunteers, like camp crew and all those guys. Because <laughs> um, they're like pounding posts in and they, we do stitches and staples every year. Um, they've broken bones. As far as the runners go, like most – so the most gruesome stuff is probably going to be like foot – foot care like some people's blisters are just a whole nother level like it, it's amazing some of these people eventually like hobble across the finish line it, it's there's like no normal skin left the blisters just get on blisters on blisters then you can get like a, like a bloody blister then some get infected it's it's it's, it's a mess um we see every once in a while especially some of the older runners they get like this this lean thing going on <laughs> And the first time we saw her, we thought like, like maybe he's having a stroke. I don't know. So actually we brought the guy into the emergency department. He, like, he was fine. And every year there's like one person. I think it's just like the way they, they pack their gear. It's a little bit offset. And so it's, 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 I've actually seen it like published now, like at other ultras. Like it's, I think it's like a, the something lean. I forget the, the term. Um, we've had a few people hospitalized for various like heart problems. There was one girl a few years ago who actually collapsed in the middle of the course, like the second to last day. I still don't really understand like what happened to her. Um, it was a little, the details were a little hazy. Um, but we occasionally will have a device called like an ISTAT to measure people's like sodium level. It's a little bit hard to get. So a lot of it, it's kind of like guessing. Um, but every every year, there's probably one or two people that we may disqualify just because they're either like really dizzy or just like bombing so much they can't keep anything down. Um, but for the most part, we're actually like pushing people to keep going. Okay. So then, as we kind of wrap up here, then um, what would be like the three biggest pieces of advice from a medical perspective that you could give uh, to runners oh, at Grand to Grand? Just to put you on the spot here. <laughs> you can do more. You can go four, five, six, seven. You can talk all day about this, I'm sure. I mean, the big thing from the medical side, kind of like we were saying, so the big themes are just kind of know what practice with the gear that you plan on running with the race with. Um, make sure it works for you. Make sure you use it. Make sure that you have a good nutrition and electrolyte plan. And make sure you practice with it going up to September. And then when you get there, Make sure that you actually stick to your plan. So if you plan on kind of going somewhat slow, don't think that you need to run out the first day and try to peer like a marathon, stick to whatever plan that you come up with. And then foot care, please learn how to prevent blisters, learn how to treat your blisters, help your friends with blisters. And if you have any questions, by all means, say, come ask us, but try to do as much as you can before. Right, oh, wait, one, one last thing. Okay. So 
before the race, for those of you who are doing it, we're going to send you like a, like a form to get for you to fill out and to get signed by like your doctor. Um, it's not, I think it says like medical clearance form. We, I just want to make it, even though we put this on the form, I just want to make it clear that we don't do this form to disqualify anybody. I don't think I've ever, I think there's one person who was like third trimester pregnancy who I'm like, no, that's not a good idea. Um, but we've had some weird medical issues pop up and we're like, oh, okay, you know, if you want to give it a shot. There's one girl who had exercise induced anaphylaxis. Have you ever heard of that? No, like I didn't know that was a thing. I, I, I didn't know it was a thing at the time either. Like it's a <laughs> severe allergic reaction to exercise. I'm like, seriously, you want to do like a seven day ultra? But she's like, oh, it's only when I do boxing and I eat this. I'm like, oh, sure, okay, and she, and she did fine. But so just please be honest. That's really more about letting us know what could be going on so we can plan accordingly. It's not to disqualify anybody. So. Don't show, and this happens every year. People will say they have no issues, no medicines. They show up there like, oh, by the way, I actually have this, this, and this going on. And I'm like bleeding or have pain or this. I'm like, well, sucks, sucks to be you. Like I, I, like, I don't know what you want me to do. So just please just be honest with that. It just, it just helps us help you. Yeah, I, that's, that's pretty solid. So I guess the last question then is, like, when are you going to run grand to grand? So the thing, here's the thing. It's hard to say with you, right? So I, I'm actually open to running like a staged ultra, but I feel like I give runners like so much grief about this race that if I do it and I dropped out, like my reputation is shot. Yeah. <laughs> so like, maybe I'll do it one year, but it's like uh, I, I don't know. I'd probably do another staged race first just to make sure I'm like okay, I, I can do this and then do it. Yeah, if you're going to show up at Grand to Grand, you got to show up and do well. So you got to figure right. out some right. other stage races exactly. first. I, before... I, can't, I can't do a podcast telling people what to do. Then I show up and drop out the first egg. They're, they're like, who is this guy? Like, yeah, maybe you have exercise induced uh, anaphylactic. Yeah, or whatever, maybe. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or if you just run day ones, have blisters and stuff, then um, yeah. Yeah, that's you... the thing. I wouldn't be able to go into the medical time. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I would actually probably just laugh about that and make yeah. fun of you, but. Yeah, it probably the same thing that happened to me. For to be honest, right. like I don't know, but um, cool. Well, thanks, Josh. Appreciate the time. It was super fun to talk, and um, I think it's gonna be a fun year in in Canab this September. Yeah, looking forward to coming back.